Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we have begun a worship series on the means of grace, and they come to us from our United Methodist Book of Discipline. And as I read to you last week, there are three general rules in the United Methodist Church. The first is to do no harm by avoiding evil. The second is to do all the good that you can for all people. And the third is to attend upon the ordinances of God, which include the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, and fasting or abstinence. And so this week, we will be exploring the ministry of the word, in this case expounded because I haven't given you anything to read. I don't write my sermons, and so you're going to have to hear them if you want to. Or, as I prefer to think of them, experience them. So why do we bother with preaching? Now, there are other Christian denominations that don't place a large emphasis on a sermon or preaching. There are other Christian denominations where the central focus of almost every worship gathering is the Eucharist or Holy Communion or the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. That's where their focus is. But in our branch of Protestantism, we have found that there is a vitality that comes from sermons and expounding upon the ministry of the Word. We think it's very important in the United Methodist Church. That's why I'm required to have a master's in divinity that includes a background in Scripture. And it's why we place such an important emphasis on this part of my job as an ordained elder and your appointed pastor. It is said that for every hour, for every minute that I preach, there's an hour of work that goes into it. I generally preach for about 20 minutes, so that means that you should be receiving the benefit of at least 20 hours of reading and discernment and prayer and research and practicing and putting it all together and my speaking it in the shower. There's really good acoustics in the shower. I recommend that you utilize that if you're ever going to preach. And so there is lots that goes into it, but in my case... I have more than 20 hours that go into my sermons because we have actually worship planned through January 6th of 2019. Not only have we chosen the scriptures and and built around the synopses for those, but we have already started to design the services and Linda is at work planning the music and the prayers that will come all together around that. And so I have been working on this sermon for a very long time, by the time it gets to you. And while I have planned out all my sermons, they are not finished. They are works in progress. And I think about them. In fact, some of them I'm very excited for. For instance, because Scripture is so important, we believe that we should be addressing some of those Scriptures that we don't like to hear. For instance, my birthday falls on a Sunday in September, and I will be preaching on why women should keep silent in church. (laughs) Um, Maybe either. A little excited. It's my birthday and I'll preach if I want to. 
very excited about that, but that can't be the highlight of our worship series. So in October, I'll be preaching on why women should submit to their husbands. Because they're in the Bible and we're going to talk about them. But why? Why worry about the Bible? Because this book here is vital. This is not just some ancient book filled with genealogy and law and boring prophetic utterances. This is the living word of God. And in the United Methodist Church, we boldly proclaim that everything that is necessary for salvation is here. Not here. Here. This is our way. This is our light. This is the way in which we understand who our God is and who we are called to be. We can't grasp the truth of the gospel if we fail to understand from whence it has come. This is not even one book. This is an anthology of 66 books, over 10,000 individual words, put together by countless believers of God who have encountered not only God's presence, but God's word and God's spirit in order to write and compose, compile, and produce this sacred text. This is a powerful vessel. There is great power here, power to heal, power to hurt. You can set people free with this. This is a tool of liberation. And over the course of my time with our senior high youth and the youth study that we've been going through together since October after, and Sunday afternoons, I came to the point where I decided that we should study a little scripture together. And so I bought them Bibles. And I asked them what they wanted in a Bible, and that was a fun exercise. What do you want in a Bible? And they were like, not yours. It's too big. It's heavy. So the redemptive way of saying that is they wanted something more compact. They wanted to have some of the thumb indexing that mine has, or as I refer to it, cheater tabs. They wanted some of those. However, we discovered that in order to get this wonderful gift, you have to carry around this huge Bible. So they don't have that. We found other ways of tabbing and indexing. But they also agreed to go with the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Not only is that what I preach and teach from, but that's what's in your pew Bibles. And so we agreed on the translation. And then I ordered them their Bibles. And when they came in, we explored their Bibles together. And I remember saying to them that this is an instrument of liberation. This has been given not only to set us free, but to help us set others free to break the chains of sin and death, and to set God's people free. Whether or not they even recognize that they are God's people, that is the point. This is a key to freedom, this book. And so I said to them, it's possible to hurt people with this book. And one of the youth said, what do you mean hurt people? How do you hurt people with that? Well, first of all, it's a heavy book. <laughs> Second of all, you know what a Bible thumper is. You know someone who takes this book and hits people over the head with it. We are not called to that. We will not be in doing that here. I'll slam the communion rail, but I'm not slamming it in your head. Because that is the antithesis of what Jesus said he came to do. And I know what Jesus said he came to do because I've read it in the book. And Jesus says, I have come to set the captive free, not knock you out and enslave you. So instead, I said, we must realize why this book is here. It is here to give us freedom, that we can help 
show others their path to freedom. And so I invited them to open up their Bibles to Genesis and see how this book, this sacred text, has been used to hurt. And we opened it up to the story in Genesis of Noah right after he comes out of the ark with his family. And the text tells us that he was a man of the field and that he planted a vineyard. And from his vineyard, he made wine. And then he proceeded to get drunk and naked and pass out in his tent. I had their attention at that. And so they discover in the story that back then the culture was one where you didn't parade around half naked or all naked at all, that you were not to uncover nakedness. And so one of Noah's sons, Ham, discovers that his father is naked and then tries to get his brothers to come and see that dad's naked. And instead the brothers decide to very carefully, and you should try to reenact this whole thing, put a coat on their shoulders and walk backward and dump it on him so that they don't have to see him naked. And out of that, once Noah awakens from his drunken stupor, he curses his son Ham. And out of that curse from Genesis, people thought it was okay and felt empowered to enslave Africans in this country. There are not only sermons that were recorded in written form of this, but there are political tracts that cite the curse of Ham for enslaving Africans here. That's hurting people. We don't do that. But because so many people didn't read this book and didn't know this book, they couldn't battle against that perversion of God's word. You have to empower people to speak God's truth. And so I am trying to empower these youth. I give them big words like hermeneutic, which throws off anybody when they're trying to get scripturally with you. You have a wacky hermeneutic. A what exactly? We have to teach people. But we also have to teach people to love this book. This is the best book ever written. Ever written. Everything you could ever want is in this book. Youth have a tab on there that says drunken naked. There's a drunken naked tab because that's a real thing. I didn't make it up. It's in Genesis. But there are other stories in here, stories worth reading, anything you could ever want. Hollywood has nothing on the Bible. You know what's in here? Everything's in here. What do you want to know? What do you want? Fencing, fighting. Torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. If you're a fan of The Princess Bride like I am, you know that that was not what this book was supposed to be, right? Instead, we thought we were getting a kissing book. This is a kissing book, but you've got to get all the way to the Gospels to get there. The thing is that this book has excitement in it. And when I was talking to the children at 930 about the Bible, about how there's all this really good stuff in it, I said, it's even better than movies. And one of the kids goes, nothing's better than movies. I was like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. No, wait. When you get older, we're going to do some Bible study together, Miles, and you are going to see. Every time Hollywood has tried to make a movie out of here, first of all, if you just follow the script, you're better off. It's much more salacious than anything Hollywood's come up with. And second of all, you don't need crazy effects. This is power. This is profound. And so we give these, these stories to the next generation. 
but we have to tell them the stories in a way that helps them to be engaged. For instance, there's this great caper that goes on in Genesis, this, this big con that they're working where Abraham thinks he's going to present his wife as his sister and all the hilarity that ensues. And not only does it premiere very well the first time, but then there's a sequel where they try it again to the same hilarity, right? This comedic part of my sister is my wife. My wife is my sister. So you have that in there. Or how about the story of Moses? Moses, who grew up in the palace of the most powerful, rich, influential person in all of the known world, the house of Pharaoh. He grows up there. He's got everything that anybody could ever want. And then one day he sees an Egyptian overseer beating a Hebrew slave. And he decides that he's had enough. And he, in a moment of vigilante justice, murders the overseer. Now, certainly in Hollywood terms, we might see that as justifiable homicide. However, the text says that Pharaoh had had enough and decided that he wanted Moses arrested and put to death. So fleeing capital murder charges and capital punishment, he runs off into the wilderness. And there he encounters God in a bush that is burning but not consumed. And God says, I know that you're on the FBI most wanted list, but you got to go back and set my people free. Hollywood can't write this kind of stuff. They don't even do justice to the real thing. There are other stories. There are stories of prophets who get made fun of for being bald and call out she-bears to maul 42 children. You know that was in there? There's a talking donkey. A talking donkey. Numbers. There are wonderful stories in here, but we don't pay attention to them. And the people that do pay attention to them use them to hurt other people. And people say all the time, it's just so, bo it's like all these genealogies. Why are there all these genealogies? Why do I have to read all of Leviticus? The youth, the first thing they wanted to do was get into Leviticus. I was like, I think we need to read something before we get into Leviticus. But we got into Leviticus, and then they realized there's about body fluids. That caught their attention, too. There's all kinds of wonderful things here, but only if you read it. If you stick it on a shelf or you don't even get one, then it will never be functional. It was important. People decided it was important. It's so important that that's why we have a ministry of the word, that we believe that there are people who are gifted and called to be ministers of this. And it's not just, I say a few things to you, but the job is very complicated, more than I could possibly ever explain. But let me try to just give you a snapshot. I have been called by God to read this text and to immerse myself in the life of this community and this congregation, your context, and figure out how to bridge the two so that this Something put together by people who spoke ancient Hebrew and Aramaic and people who spoke Greek, really fundamental Greek, somehow can speak to people whose primary and perhaps only language is modern English in a time where they could not even fathom a book. I'm supposed to make that real and poignant and effective for you. And it takes time and it takes prayer. And I have had to prove that I can do it over and over again. And every single Sunday, I have to do it again. And I have a belief, and I tell this to other clergy, you're only as good as your last sermon.
You're only as good as your last sermon. If you preach a real bomb, you better get up next week and bring it. Because you are the bomb of last week. We are called. This is more, more than half of what I do every week between preaching and teaching. That's how vital it is. And our book of discipline states this. It says that the ministry of the word is a crucial part to who we are. It says, as we open our minds and our hearts to the word of God through the words of human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit, faith is born and nourished. Our understanding is deepened and the possibilities for transforming the world become apparent to us. This is the lens by which we can see the power and the authority that has been given to us to change this world. And we have been given power to use it to help or to hurt, to heal or to hold back. Everything has to do with what we do with this. It says we are aided by scholarly inquiry and personal insight under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As we work with each text, we take into account what we have been able to learn about the original context and intention of that text. In this understanding, we draw upon the careful historical, literary, and textual studies of recent years, which have enriched our understanding of the Bible. The Bible is a living document. We are always reading it new. I have read it cover to cover at least a dozen times, and I am not finished. Every time I teach my Bible study, I see something, I hear something, I encounter something I have never encountered before. I have yet to study the scriptures and go, God, nothing new. Fail. Never. Because every time I read it, I am different. I am a different person. I have encountered you. I have encountered the, the struggles and the trials of ministry, of being in the body of Christ, of living in Crozet, whatever it is. When I read this text the next time, it will not read the same. It cannot read the same. It is alive forevermore. That's why it spoke to people who had Old English. It speaks to people in Portuguese. It speaks to people in Cantonese. It speaks to people all over the world for all time because it is better and bigger and greater and more powerful than we. This is God's gift to us. This is the greatest love letter to anyone in all humankind. This text tells us the story of a God who created us and loved us while we habitually turned our backs on God. And yet at no point does God wipe it all out completely and start again. Every time the story comes back to God's willingness to ride out the hard times, to live through the sin and the death and the violence and the hatred, to get to the point where just one heart changes. And we are those people. One by one, little by little, we are being transformed because of this gift, because of this and we have to use it. Not using it is to abuse it. This is a powerful, powerful tool. And when we don't read it, we put it in the hands of people that are happy to kill in its name, to use its power and its verbiage to enslave and hold people back. That's why I'm going to address hard topics about why I shouldn't even be here talking to you right now. That's why I'm willing to address topics about who should be submitting to who and who's in charge here. 
And what does it really mean when Jesus says that if we want to love him and follow him, we will forsake our family? What is that all about? We will deal with the hard topics because this is that important. And I have to tell you, my experience here, and it hasn't quite been two years yet, but my experience here has been that this is not a place where we play it safe. Crozet United Methodist Church is not where people come because they're all perfect and we got it all figured out. We come to Crozet United Methodist Church because we want to encounter the living God and we want to become more and more like Jesus Christ. We will not do that if we don't read the instruction manual. You have to read the book. Listen to it on audio tape if you can't read. However you got to do, you have to embrace the book. We are called to read it in community. That's why we do it in worship. Because what we're doing right here can never be replicated. It's not even the same that I preached an hour ago. It's different because you are different. I am different. The spirit is moving differently here than it was at 930. And that's not a better or a worse thing. It's a reality. We are different people here. And so the message is for us. Not for them or for people who aren't here. It's for us here and now. That's why the ministry of the word is so crucial. It's so important that the church would invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in me alone, in seminary and in the ordination process and in continuing education, because this is the moment. 90% of the people that enter into churches on Sunday morning, it's the only time they come to church, which means that the minutes I speak to you is the only time they will hear me. What I have to say in the ministry of the word may be my only ministry to people. And so we focus on this. This is who we are called to be, but not yet who we are. But we are striving. We are seeking. And if you're, in, you're not in a Bible stu study, get one. And if you're in a Bible study that doesn't come to the text with humility and that doesn't come to read how perfect and right you are, get a new Bible study. Learn to read God's word with other people who are as thirsty for righteousness as you are, who hunger for justice, who want to know that they can be loved in spite of all of the horrific mistakes that we have made. Because by the time my words come to you, I've been preaching this to myself for about a week. And I have to tell you that no matter how bad my life is going, no matter how much I have messed up and I mess up, no matter how bad it is, this book tells me how to carry on. And maybe Emma was right. Maybe it is a bit of a cookbook. Maybe there are recipes in here for grace and forgiveness. Maybe it is. And if we are willing to engage what God has given us, if we are willing to take it and to read it until it falls to pieces so that it can become a piece of us, and we say, dear God, help me know. Help me know. And we cry out and we seek and we yearn and we burn for more knowledge. I have no doubt that the still small voice of God will say, as you wish. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.